0: We're going to be in the book of Ruth again today, chapter three, if you'd like to turn there. And as usual, I'll take this time to remind you that there are a few Bibles um, in the chair ahead of you. If you'd like to grab one of those, if you didn't bring a Bible with you. And uh, if you are a, like me, an avid technological user of opportunities to read God's scripture, that was a long sentence. What I should say is if you like to use Bible apps, um, which are great tools, encourage you to, as we're talking about rest, especially today, maybe rest from carrying that phone for everything that you do. If you're like me, right? Calendar, Bible, communication, internet, right? I mean, we use our phones for everything. Let's take, let's rest from those today. I'd encourage you. I'm not your boss, so I can't make you do anything, but there are paper Bibles ahead of you. Um, Ruth is in the Old Testament towards the beginning. So if you can find it there, we're in chapter three. Before I pray, I want to actually read to you from the Valley of Vision. I don't know if many of you are familiar with this little book. This is a collection of Puritan prayers from 200 years ago or so. Um, Various artists or artists. (laughs) It's not a CD. It's various authors of um, prayers uh, that are really, really helpful. Now, this is not, this is a very un-Protestant thing, isn't it? like to have a book of prayer, like, come on, I know how to pray. And aren't my prayers more sincere than reading them off paper? They can be. Um, I I grew up in in a Methodist context where we did a lot of call and respond and, you know, reading things. And we had that, you know, that loud kind of robotic sound of the congregation saying, the Lord be with you and also with you, you know, and it just kind of rings in my ears as sort of ingenuine, perhaps. But um, I've I've since then uh, kind of made my way back to some of these resources. And, And I know that some of this language is um, older and, and maybe unfamiliar to us. But uh, I would encourage you to just take a moment and bow your heads one more time. Again, this is out of our regular scheme here. Um, I'm going to just pray us through um, this prayer that's called Resting on God before we read Ruth chapter three. So would you bow your heads with me, please? O God, most high, most glorious, the thoughts of thine infinite serenity cheers me for I am toiling and moiling, troubled and distressed but thou art forever at perfect peace. Thy designs cause thee no fear or care of unfulfillment. They stand fast as the eternal hills. Thy power knows no bond, thy goodness no stint. Thou bringest order out of confusion, and my defeats are thy victories. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I come to thee as a sinner who with cares and sorrows, to leave every concern entirely to thee, Every sin calling for Christ's precious blood, revive deep spirituality in my heart. Let me live near to the great shepherd, hear his voice, know its tones, follow its calls. Keep me from deception by causing me to abide in the truth, from harm by helping me to walk in the power of the Spirit. Give me intenser faith in the eternal verities, burning into me by experience the things I know. Let me never be ashamed of the truth of the gospel, that I may bear its reproach, vindicate it, see Jesus as its essence, know in it the power of the Spirit. Lord, help me, for I am often lukewarm and chill. Unbelief mars my confidence. Sin makes me forget thee. Let the weeds that grow in my soul be cut at their roots. Grant me to know that I truly live only when I live to thee, that all else is trifling. Thy presence alone can make me holy, devout, strong, and happy. Abide in me, gracious God. Amen. I wonder if there was something in that that stuck out to you. I've read this several times this past week, and particularly one of those last lines, let the weeds that grow in my soul be cut at their roots. Let's read from Ruth chapter 3, and then ask the Lord's help one last time. We're going to read the entirety of Ruth, chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Please follow along. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before no one before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray one more, one last time. O oh God of all ages, of all Times, situations, challenges of all people. Lord of all, creator of the universe, sustainer of life, and our redeemer through Christ. We pray that you'd help us as we look to your word now. May we find rest in Jesus as Ruth was able to find in Boaz. We thank you for the beauty of this story the great picture it is, of your kindness. We ask that in these moments as we look at your word, you would help us to even now rest from the things that perhaps we are working towards, worrying about, or just wondering. Help us to rest in you and to receive your word as a gift, as a grace, not as a word from man or from an outline or from a catchy saying, rather as your divine message to us in this book. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So today our, our text is Romans, or Romans, Ruth 3, 1 through 18, and the title is Finding Rest. And perhaps you picked up on where that came from in verse 1. Naomi, her mother in law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Now, if you're tracking with the story, we've done two chapters. We're in the third chapter. We're in Act 3 before Act 4, the great finale next week, Lord willing. And what we've seen is Ruth, who is a Moabitess, has joined with Naomi, her mother-in-law, though Ruth's own husband and Ruth's brother-in-law and Ruth's father-in-law have all died in Moab. Out of a seemingly impossibly tragic and hopeless situation, God has given them a new start in bringing food to Bethlehem, the original home of Naomi and her husband Elimelech. And in returning... They have found even more than what they have expected. They found an opportunity to receive even greater measures of God's grace to provide for them day by day throughout the barley and wheat harvest seasons. Ruth ran into Boaz, who she just so happened to have begun working, to to be working in his field. Um, As according to the law, which allows for uh, those who are poor, those widows or foreigners, to work in the corners of any field in Israel, um, that the owner of that field was not to harvest all of their field, but to leave those corners so that those who needed it could work for and glean what they needed to survive. Well, as she was doing that work, Boaz notices her, and gives her even more grace on top of the opportunity to work for her own earnings. He, he sends her home um, bountifully with, with, with way more than what she could have earned within one day's work. And she ends up working for Boaz um, throughout the end of the harvest season. We left Ruth waiting to see what her final hope would be, because Boaz has proven that the Lord is going to take care of her daily needs today. But she was probably also wondering, where am I going to end up? Where will I find rest, security, a home? If you have different translations of the Bible, perhaps the NIV has, uh, I think it it translates, should I not find a home for you? Um, But this Hebrew word for rest um, gives that idea of of not just sleep, but uh, ceasing from working, Uh, a home, security, some identity in in the accomplished grace of God in, in the person's life. And this is what Ruth is looking for. Naomi has hinted to this idea of Boaz being a redeemer in chapter 2, um, when Ruth came home and said, hey, it was Boaz's field that I was working in. And she said, huh, he's a redeemer. Well, what's a redeemer? A redeemer was somebody who, as a close member of the family, was able to, uh, was actually called upon to marry the wife of the deceased um, so that he might carry on that family's line and provide for the widow who was left With no husband, and in Ruth's case, left with no sons either. So when Naomi kind of puts this idea out here in chapter two, we already sort of see where the story is going to land. We want Boaz and Ruth to end up together, right? We want that marriage to happen. And today, what we see in chapter three is Naomi's plan to make that happen, her plan to help Ruth find rest. So in chapter 3, if you want to create an outline in your notes, if you're taking notes, um, I'm going to be following through here verses 1 through 5. We'll see Naomi's plan. Verses 6 through 9, we see Ruth's proposal. And then verses 10 through 18, we'll discuss Boaz's promise. Okay, So Naomi's plan, Ruth's proposal, and then Boaz's promise. But the whole plan lands, lands on this idea of finding rest for Ruth. And before we get into the story, I want you to be thinking about this idea of rest in your own life. Would you like to find rest? Have you had that thought even today, maybe this past week? If you work your typical nine to five, Monday through Friday type thing, maybe around Thursday you were starting to think, I can't wait to find that rest. Or maybe, like many people, that sentiment came up Monday morning. Who knows? Who knows? We as as finite creatures were designed by an infinite God to need rest. We were not created to work 100% of our time here on earth. We were created to work according to the strength that the Lord provides us and leave the rest to Him. Now Ruth is going to do this very well. She's going to find rest in trusting Boaz to find her rest. To to skip to the end for a second here, if you remember his words, he did give us this terrible twist. There's somebody else who's a nearer kinsman redeemer. We don't even know who this guy is. But it might not be Boaz who ends up with Ruth. It is Boaz who ends up with Ruth, by the way. But as we follow the story, we're not sure. And, And this seems to be a little bit of a downer. Because we think, no, we wanted Boaz and Ruth. We don't want some other guy. He hasn't even been mentioned here yet. What if he's a total loser? Boaz is a worthy man. We want her to find rest with him. We're already kind of getting set up a little bit for disappointment, perhaps. But Boaz has set his mind to say, look, I'm going to find you rest. Either I will provide it or another will. And sure enough, when we get to chapter 4, we'll see how he does that. But... We ourselves also long for rest on a daily basis, maybe on a weekly basis. Maybe we shut out that desire for rest because we only think that we will find rest, follow this track, we think we will only find good rest through more work, for working beyond what we No, we ought to do crushing our limits and surpassing all expectations so that we might succeed beyond our peers. If something doesn't go very well or if I don't have that rest that I think I need, I most often will say, well, clearly I haven't worked hard enough for it. But the rest that we're talking about today is a rest that is promised to you by God and is not a reward in the sense that you have worked for and now earn yourself a valid weekend. Think about this, when you start a new job and you talk to your employer, what's my schedule going to be? Your employer hopefully doesn't just say, you're going to work till the day you die. (laughs) My history teacher used to say, anytime somebody was falling asleep in class, which unfortunate for him, that was every day in high school, Um, he used to say, hey, you can sleep when you're dead. Wake up and pay attention. Now, he was right in that context, but he was wrong overall. If we live by that idea of we can sleep when we're dead, therefore we must work until we absolutely have nothing left. If perhaps you have that mindset of work ethic that goes so far beyond just simply a good work ethic to actually creating an idol out of work, you're in danger of finding absolutely no satisfaction. In fact, not just in danger, but you'll never find satisfaction. You'll never find rest with that kind of mindset. We need to lay down our earthly concept of working and saying, hey, I put in my 40 or 50 hours of work every week, so when it comes to Saturday morning, I'm sleeping in. Or what do you hear is the most common excuse there? I wasn't at church. Sunday's my only day to sleep in. I get that but I also get the fact that I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. I don't really get to sleep in, like ever. (laughs) And if I have slept in, it's because I've been up all night anyway. I get sleeping in is great, and we would all love to have whatever our standard of rest is, But we're not going to find that standard of rest guaranteed simply because we put work in think again back to your conversation with your employer when you started your job what is my schedule i want you to be here monday tuesday thursday friday saturday you know whatever the schedule is but then they leave off hopefully sometime right they don't say i'll see you here always right hopefully there's a time where they say you are off on this day and you don't sit there and go that's right. He knows I'm gonna do such a good job that I'm gonna deserve a day off, right? But we act like that when we come to the weekend, don't we? I've worked so hard this week. I deserve sleeping in, eating a fancy breakfast, whatever your 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 description of rest is for from the week. We we act as though we deserve that because we've put in the hours but in Christ we should find that there's no room for us to to live in light of the work we've done because we need to live in light of the work that Christ has done. And we saw that even in chapter 2. If you remember what Boaz said in verse 12, this great verse. He says to Ruth, "The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord." Now that almost sounds like she's deserved something, right? But read the rest of it the god of israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge she was only able to do that work she was only able to ec- ec- display that kindness to naomi because of the grace of god in her life remember the book of ephesians says that there are good works that were prepared beforehand before we even were redeemed in christ for us to walk in them When you become a part of God's family, you don't invent the way you're going to express that. You don't say, and now I'm going to do this and make this decision and I'm going to define what it looks like for me to be a part of God's family. What you actually walk into in your new birth in Christ is the work he's already prepared for you beforehand. So if at the point you became a Christian, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you look at your job, your house, your home, whatever setting you may find yourself and you say, I don't like this. I should have done better. I should have worked harder. In this very moment, God has placed you where you are on purpose, despite whether you worked hard enough, whether you worked too hard, whether you made good or bad decisions. And your life, believer, is a testimony to what you believe about your relationship with Christ. And if we live in such a way as to say, I deserve a reward for whatever work I'm done in whatever context it is, I've worked so hard, dinner better be on the table when I get home. Whatever our idea of that reward is, we are testifying to people around us that that's how things ought to be. That is not the reality for a child of God. That is not the reality for one who's been redeemed by Christ. Look at what Ruth is looking for here. She's trying to find rest. Naomi is going to try to provide that for her. But biblically, rest is provided as a grace from the Lord. It's grace that's due to his completed work of redemption in us. That what Christ has done has now given us the rest that he denied himself. He's the one who did the work on the cross. What were his last words? It is finished. Not to simplify what Christ did too much, but he clocked out at that moment, right? He was done. He did his job and he's the one who deserves the reward. We are his reward. We are the ones who walk in the grace of what he has done, living for him, not to earn anything from him, but because of what he's done, we are freely given a righteousness that we could not have on our own a right standing with God. Before I was a sinner, lost in my sins, hopeless, doomed for eternal death. That's what the Bible says. And yet what Christ has done has redeemed me from the curse of the law because he became a curse for me. Isn't that amazing? Why do you want to keep working? Christ has done the work. He's provided work for you to walk in. I like how Paul even says that. He doesn't say he's created work for you to figure out or work for you to work out. He's created work for you to walk in. And like we were talking about this morning, that sharing our testimony of who Christ is, particularly to lost people who don't know him, that we don't need to do that by ourselves. He does not call us to do anything in the Christian life by ourselves. But Paul calls us to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. He's given us this Holy Spirit so that we can walk in the reality of what Christ has done for us. I'm obviously jumping ahead, but I want you to get the gospel in your mind before we go through the rest of this story so that it makes sense with God's plan. Because Ruth is not being rewarded for her own righteousness, her own kindness, but the kindness that God has worked in her. Our sermon series is New Beginnings. And that first week we looked at starting over when everything seems over. Last week we looked at gleaning under the wings of his grace. And today we're looking at finding rest. And all of these things are necessary for us if we're going to walk in the reality of our new beginning in Christ. We cannot think that now that I'm a Christian and I have the Holy Spirit of God on me, I'm invincible and I can work 24-7 and I don't need sleep anymore because my rest is in Jesus. Oh, suddenly, though that is my reality spiritually, suddenly rest that happens maybe this afternoon or tonight when you go to bed or when you're sitting on the floor playing with your kids, whenever that rest happens, it exists to show you the rest that you already have in Christ, to remind you, to give you your own illustration, as it were, of what Christ has done for you every single day of your life. Unfortunately, we misunderstand rest. And that started all the way back in the garden. I mentioned in Sunday school, we talk so much about the fall of Genesis 3. We're going to do it again today because in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, who were told that they could eat of any tree in the garden except one, did not rest in what God had done and rest in what God had said. But in fact, they worked for something that God had already promised them. He already promised them joy, satisfaction, and and being like him. Remember what the the snake's temptation was. He says to Eve, God knows that if you eat from that tree, you will be like him. Eve should have opened her Bible, as it were, or thought back in her memory and said, hold on a second. I was made in the image of God. You're promising, promising me something by sin that God has already given me by grace. And we fall into the same trap over and over again. Every temptation ultimately calls us to say, hey, if you do this, then you'll have this thing that God doesn't want you to have. And the truth is is that if there's anything good, God wants you to have it. He wants you to have it in Christ, where it is not only good, but it is the best. So, Naomi's plan. I'm going to find rest for you, Ruth. Shouldn't I do that? And and this whole transition in, in, in Naomi's life here is fantastic because if you remember when she came back to Bethlehem, she said, don't call me Naomi. That name means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because I left full and I've come back empty. My husband's dead. My two sons are dead. One of my sister-in-law, or my sister, my daughter-in-laws has left me and gone back to Moab. I told her to do that, but... She's still lacking three, four people in her life. But she forgot about Ruth. And sure enough, Ruth becomes this conduit for the grace of God in Naomi's life. And so now Naomi is at a point where she doesn't say, I'm empty, I'm bitter, I'm hopeless, I'm lost. She says, hey, Ruth, I'm your mother-in-law. Shouldn't I seek to find you rest? Isn't there something that God has done definitively and clearly that I can access and proclaim to you so that you can access and live in light of. And that is the Redeemer uh, policy, the Redeemer um, prescription in the Old Testament, in the law, that, that these widows should not be left to themselves, but they should be cared for. And God's plan was for this nearest relative to take that responsibility. So she says, isn't Boaz our relative? With whose young woman you were, he's winnowing barley tonight. Here's what you're going to do. And she lays out the plan for her to find rest. By the way, this idea rest is, is this really cool Hebrew word. And we've you see it in different places in the Old Testament, but there's a couple places that we need to remember. And, and I feel like uh, you need to take some time and think about the book of Judges a little bit more because I've not done a good job of reminding you of the book of Judges. But this book happens in the historical context of the book of Judges. And the last time we saw something about rest... In the book of Judges was this guy named Manoah, whose name literally means rest. And does anybody remember who Manoah was? He himself was not a judge, but he was the father of a judge. Samson, the last judge that we learn about. And it's funny, there's a commentary where the title for that section over Samson is Samson, the judge nobody asked for. And in truth, Samson comes from this man whose name means rest. And he does, in fact, give Israel rest for a time. But was that ever Samson's goal? Do you ever see Samson saying, I'm going to avenge God's people and free them? No, he says, I'm going to avenge myself. I'm going to free myself. I'm going to get what I want. And so Samson becomes this opposite picture of Ruth because Samson is striving page after page. In the book of Judges, towards the end, where, he, his, where his story is, he's striving every moment to get whatever pleasure he can find. He's working tirelessly to find rest in worldly things. And ultimately, he gives his life up to save Israel. He loses any hope of that when his eyes are taken from him. His strength is, has left him because he was disobedient to the Lord. And yet Ruth comes in as a breath of fresh air because she is one who isn't even of the nation of Israel. Remember, she's not part of God's covenant people. She's been grafted in. She's a Gentile like most of us are. And she, in fact, finds the grace of God and displays it to us much more clearly. Anyway, this is what Naomi wants for Ruth, rest. So she puts together a plan. She says, I want you to go to the winnowing, the threshing floor at night. You're going to, um, what does she she say here? Uh, Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Go and uncover his feet. That sounds weird. Lie down, also weird, and he will tell you what to do. Um, That's it? You want me to go find this guy? First of all, she says, get dressed up wash and anoint yourself, put on your cloak. And that cloak would have just been a cloak that anybody would have worn. Like, it's like a Columbia jacket. You know, anybody could wear this thing, right? That's what that cloak was. But the anointing and the washing that she's talking about is to say, no longer look like you're mourning the loss of your husband because you are going into the scenario with hope of finding a new husband, finding new rest, so she sets her up already in that part of the plan um, to, to prepare herself for that, to, to walk with, with hope. You know? uh, it, it's like putting a bow tie on on Sunday morning. You feel like you can do something finally. And so Ruth agrees to the plan. What does this plan show us, though? First, it shows Naomi's love. He, she's formulated a plan that is for the benefit of Ruth, not just for herself. It's clearly in response to what the Lord has done for her through Ruth. Naomi loves Ruth. She's not looking for anything for herself. She trusts that the Lord is going to provide for her now. She's seen how the Lord has even used Ruth. If in Naomi's mind, if the Lord can use my daughter-in-law, who isn't even my daughter-in-law anymore, right? Like my son is no longer with us. So she has no obligation to me. If I can receive that kind of grace from somebody like Ruth, I can trust the Lord for any of my other needs. That's where Naomi is right now. Isn't that a good place to be? That's rest. That's the ultimate kind of rest. It's not just the rest of the weekend or the rest of, you know, five o'clock driving home and coming home to eat a nice meal or whatever. It's not just those temporary things. It is a, an acknowledgement of who God is and how he is relating to me through ordinary and unusual means, unexpected means. And he's giving me grace through that so I can rest. I'm not going to work for my own sake anymore. But now I can express that grace to Ruth. So that's what she wants to do. She loves her. She's no longer empty. She's full and she wants to share that filling. She's not worried about how the Lord is going to take care of her because she says in chapter 2, verse 20, may he be blessed of the Lord. That is Boaz, whose kindness, the Lord's kindness, has not forsaken the living or the dead. So she says, hey, look, my, my husband, my sons are dead, but the Lord has not forsaken them. Why? Because I know he hasn't forsaken me either. And I'm still here, I'm the living. And I know he's not forsaken me. I know that he is my redeemer. I know that I can rest in him. Brothers and sisters, if you have something that is just on your mind right now, I want you to set it aside. Something that is weighing you down, some worry, care, some work that you need to do, set it aside. Don't worry about the state of the country right now. Don't worry about what you're going to do when you get home. Don't worry about Monday morning. Don't worry about any of those kind of things. Be like Naomi. Leave that to the Lord. He is faithful. He has not forsaken the living or the dead. Because of what Christ's done, we can have confidence that just like Naomi was cared for by the Lord, we are cared for even in an eternal sense. Anyway, Naomi's plan, her love is clear. Her plan is biblical. Boaz is a redeemer. He's a near relative. She probably knows there's a near relative, but she wants Boaz to be her future son-in-law. She wants Boaz for Ruth. She knows Boaz is a worthy man. So she's going after him. She may even know that the nearer relative is probably going to say no to this whole thing. And we'll see how he says no in chapter 4 next week, Lord willing. Her plan is also humble. Her plan required Ruth to express her utter dependence on Boaz as a redeemer. You might look at this and say, well, this is very uncouth. Um, why is this woman proposing to this man? How untraditional, how progressive, how contemporary. You know, Maybe you're thinking that. Maybe not. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. It seems weird seems usually that the man would be proposing to the woman, right? But here, what Ruth is actually going to do is, the the plan is to say, um, spread your wings over your servant. She is asking, in one sense, she is proposing, but in a deeper sense, she's saying, let me be your wife. She's asking him to care for her, to be the redeemer, to redeem him. Not that she is coming to bring anything and say, hey, I am the most excellent Ruth, and I would like you to be graced by being my husband. No, she is throwing all that she has away as far as her own credit and trusting in the kindness of the Lord and in the kindness of Boaz. So there's humility in Naomi's plan. This this plan is also hopeful, as we mentioned before. She told Ruth, wash yourself, anoint yourself with oil, put on your cloak, be hopeful. Don't think that when Boaz wakes up, he's going to be like, Ruth, what? I was sleeping. Leave me alone. I've been working all day. Boaz isn't going to be like that. Boaz lives under the grace of God as well. And Naomi knows that about Boaz. So she says, Ruth, don't just go into this thinking, hey, maybe something will happen. Maybe I'll get somewhere with this. Go in with sincere hope. Go in with faith that the Lord is going to work through this situation. Naomi's plan testifies to her trust in the Lord. It testifies that the Lord is one who's faithful and trustworthy with our deepest needs. Not just when we think we have nothing left to rely on. Not just when there's things that seem uh, peripheral and, and secondary. And we can say, I'll let God deal with those kind of things while I deal with my most important kinds of things. The gospel is that Jesus came and died for your sin, people. He died for your deepest need he took your deepest need and he satisfied God's judgment over it it was not just a secondary issue and that's why these secondary issues in one sense of how are we going to where are we going to live what are we going to eat what are we going to wear all those things that Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount he says seek first the kingdom of God well how do I get into the kingdom of God repent and believe Believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus died in your place and rose again so that you could have eternal life, so that you could be a part of his kingdom. And so that all those things that you worry about, maybe you'll still worry about them sometimes. Maybe you'll even struggle with worrying about them. But you'll have an avenue of escape from that worry, from overworking, and from even wondering if the Lord cares for you. This is Naomi's testimony. So often, So once we've acted out our own responsibility, something stops us from waiting for and resting in the Lord. If you notice, that's the last thing that Naomi says to Ruth in the end of chapter three. She says, okay, listen, wait for him. He's going to take care of the situation. He's not even going to rest until he's found rest for you. Ruth could have been like, I don't know. Maybe I should go find that other guy. Maybe I, what if Boaz doesn't describe me well enough to this other redeemer? And he says, no. And then Boaz says, hey, you got a point. She's actually not all that great. I'm not going to go for it either. There's all sorts of questions and thoughts and worries that could be going on in Ruth's head, but what does she do? She says, okay, I'll wait. I'll leave it up to Boaz. He's a worthy man. Brothers and sisters, Christ is the worthiest for us to trust in, to rest in what he has done and what he will do on our behalf. He's not going to leave us without hope. And yet so often we think we need to take some of these extra things into our hands and work beyond what we are capable of or even what we are called to. So let's look at Ruth's proposal. Her proposal is she wants to find rest in Boaz. The setting is strange. This is the end of the harvest season. And so they're at the threshing floor and threshing out the grain. You can learn about that in your Bible dictionary or in your study Bible if you want to later for the sake of time. Either way, it's a strange setting to us. Why not find Boaz in the, the bright of day and say, hey, can I have a conversation with you really quick? Wondering if you might like to marry me. That'd be pretty cool. Um, she doesn't go that route, and that's not Naomi's plan. Naomi's plan is go in the middle of the night. That's kind of weird, but what is she doing? She wants to secure for her an opportunity to talk safely and candidly with Boaz without anyone else around. Now, there were people around, There were people who were sleeping, in fact. Other servants who would have been with Boaz, most likely. And that's why, what does she do to wake up Boaz? Hey, Boaz! I need to talk to you, right? She doesn't do that. She'd wake everybody up. Whoa, what's Ruth doing? Why are you here? What's going on? No, she uncovers his feet. Now, again, think, that's really weird. Why are we uncovering feet? I don't like this idea. Really uncomfortable right now. Well, if you want to wake somebody up, uncover their feet, Right? If you, what uh, wasn't my dad said when Nora was born, she was like, he was like, if you ever need to wake, him, wake her up, and I was like, why are you telling me if I ever need to wake her up? The hard part is keeping her asleep. But she, he said, if you ever need to wake her up, take her socks off <laughs> while she's sleeping. I'm like, okay, I'll keep that in mind. And in fact, now I, I do, I, I, don't, I don't actually take her socks off, but it is kind of hard to wake up Nora in the morning. It's so now four, year old, four years old. Anyway, what Ruth does here is she, she simply uncovers Boaz's feet so that after a few minutes, he wakes up, his feet are cold, and he's, he's going to wake up and, and find that Ruth is waiting there for him to wake up, and then she will make her proposal. So let's, let's look at that again. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, which you didn't want him to be startled, but I guess he was. Thankfully, he apparently said this quietly enough. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Does that sound familiar at all? Do you remember from last week? You remember, actually, just from a few minutes ago, I think we read that already. 2:12, Lord repay you. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is Boaz's blessing for Ruth, and Ruth comes back and says, "Hey, answer your own prayer here." In one sense, right? Be the means by which God answers this prayer for my provision and for my um, my 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 care, my rest that I need from the Lord. And these, this idea of wings is the same idea of a garment. It's a symbol of a husband taking his wife under his own love and provision as though under a large cloak to care for her. And, and this, is, this, is not, this is a very difficult thing for us to think about because you know, we, we really emphasize independence today, right? And being a man, being a woman, being poor, being rich, we want to say, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and take care of yourself and you can, you can go do anything, right? It wasn't that easy in this time. And it's not even easy now, much more so then. Really becoming a widow was almost like a death sentence. If there was no son or child to care for Ruth and she had no husband, she needed to find someone to care for her. Because in that time you needed to own land and you needed to have some kind of provision. Uh, She didn't have that, especially Ruth being a foreigner, being someone who didn't have a right to any of the land in Israel, but she is brought in. And of course, she's going to be brought into Boaz's family. That's her request. She has been brought into the family of God and she's looking for the, the, the expression of that in Boaz's care for her. Well, Let's look at Boaz's promise now. His promise is basically to do what it takes to provide rest to Ruth and Naomi. He is amazed. He's glad for what Ruth has said because we can tell in chapter two, Boaz likes Ruth, right? Very clearly. Not only because of what he says, but what he does. He showers her with gifts. He's amazed at how Ruth has cared for her mother-in-law, someone she didn't have any responsibility for, and yet she's given up her whole life to stay alongside Naomi and and to seek rest for her before finding it for herself. And you can imagine that by the end of chapter 2, Boaz is thinking, boy, I wish I was the closest redeemer, but I'll let things play out the way they will. Well, Boaz's promise amounts to essentially saying, hey, there's someone closer, there's another redeemer. I'm not going to take the, the uh, responsibility of something that is not my right, that is not in my place yet to jump in and take this responsibility. It's somebody else who's supposed to do this. So I want to do things the right way. I live under God's grace, and so I'm going to function according to God's grace, is what Boaz is saying. I'm going to function according to God's plan. So I'm going to go to this other guy, and if he does not redeem you, I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Then he says, lie down until morning. She lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. Her plan was to get out of there before everybody woke up. While the sun was just barely coming up, it was still dark. Nobody could tell what was going on. Um, This was not because anything fishy was going on. It was to make sure that nobody thought anything fishy was going on. That's the nature of this whole plan. And so she gets out, she comes back to Naomi, and she explains, hey, this is what happened, and this is what Boaz has said. And Ruth says, hey, look, we, we can trust him. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. He will not rest until he finds rest for you. You know, there's a verse where this word rest shows up in Deuteronomy 28, verse 65. And there, Moses writes, And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart, and failing eyes, and a languishing soul. That is to say that there is only to be be found rest in the Lord, not in anything that the world has to offer us. So Ruth, again, does not say, Well, while Boaz is figuring this out, I'm going to make a plan B. And the problem with us so often is that we do make plan B we we act as though I'll, I'll wait on the lord but while i'm waiting we're going to do this other thing. If you're doing something, you're not really resting. Are you? Right? If your goal this afternoon is to sit on the couch and take a break and really rest, but you pick up the planner for the week ahead and you start planning what you're going to do, is that really rest? It might feel like more rest compared to what you were doing the rest of the week, but it's not really rest. We need to find our rest in the lord. And maybe your rest in the Lord is taking a nap. And as you drift off to sleep this afternoon to think, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful nap. It's a picture of your grace. And I'm going to receive it with thanksgiving and gladness of heart. (laughs) Maybe part of this whole reading plan that we want to encourage throughout this year, 2021, is so that we might find rest in what he has said and what he has done for us, rather than in our own efforts, in our own works. He's worked on our behalf at the cross. He's not given us license to become lazy, but he's also not given us power beyond so that we might become overworkers. We have to find that balance in the middle. Do what the Lord has required of you today. Go to work. Do the thing. Take care of your family. Fulfill those responsibilities. When you get to the point where you recognize it's beyond what you can handle, trust the Lord with it. Rest in what he has done for you. That's not to say that you're going to clock out at the same time every day. I get that days fluctuate, and some days are longer than others but see to it that you find rest, that you make rest a priority. And what is it that you need to rest from? I'm going to give you three things here in closing as our sort of reflection question, just one. Do you need to, we need to embrace our rest in Christ. And you need to ask yourself today, are you needing rest most from work, from worry, or even just from wondering? Okay? Work as in overwork. You need to take a time, just as the Lord prescribed in the Old Testament, that we take a Sabbath and stop working. Maybe you need to stop worrying. There's no, It's not about reaching the limit of worry. It's about not worrying at all, right? Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Maybe it's just wondering. You know, it's very easy for me to say, I'm going to take some time to rest today and sit down and then just start wondering, what am I going to do this week? How am I going to deal with that kind of thing? I'm not necessarily anxious. I just want to take this time to think about this thing. Maybe even need to lay those kind of things aside for a moment. Look to him in his word. Look to him in prayer. Look to him in fellowship with other believers. And let your life testify to the rest that Christ has provided you at the cross and at the empty tomb. There's rest for us to be had today, brothers and sisters, because there's rest for us eternally in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the rest that you provide us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that though we so often imagine that the way to greater rest is found through harsher work or uh, greater attention to worry or even just wondering and just thinking about things, Lord, help us to shut down in one sense so that we, we can, in fact, lay the things in your hands that belong there and not in our own. Where Christ has shown us at the cross that it was all about what he has done, not what we have done. Because he didn't tell us, hey, come up here and die for your sins with me. He did tell us to take up our own cross and follow him. But we do so in hope of rest and embracing the rest that you provide for us, Lord. Help us to find that, to find it well, and to worship you by taking rest as it is available and afforded to us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.